We're going to look at Matthew 13, a big section of it, but it's uh, two paragraphs that are not connected to each other. Uh, They are printed in the bulletin there. Uh, Otherwise, if you're following along in the Bible, hopefully you'll be able to see where we're going. We'll look at verses uh, 24 through 30 and then 36 to 43. Uh, Jesus faced opposition. Uh, We've talked about that quite a bit. It's one of the most basic, obvious realities about his life in this world. Jesus faced opposition, put it very simply. It's also uh, one of the basic realities that we continue to face and experience as his people in this world. The church has always faced opposition in this world. It's hard to be a Christian in this world. Jesus has talked about that reality uh, several times already in Matthew's gospel. He prepares his disciples to expect opposition for his name's sake. And he teaches us how to engage with our enemies as he does with prayer and with love. Uh, Still, it can be a disturbing reality for us to face, especially when we confess that Jesus is Lord. He's the king of heaven and earth. And if Jesus is Lord of all, then why doesn't he just instantly crush all opposition? Why do we still face opposition in this world? Why is it hard to be a Christian? If all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus, why hasn't he snapped his fingers and changed the world already, once and for all? Why, why does he allow people to reject his own rule? <clears throat> why does he allow his church to suffer persecution? Why hasn't he just made things right? It's been 2,000 years since Jesus has been named as Lord, yet here we are, still living in a world filled with unbelief and resistance. Uh, If Jesus is actually Lord, then why hasn't he fixed this basic problem? Is Jesus actually Lord if he hasn't uh, uh, fixed this basic problem? Open rebellion against him abounds. Does that undermine his lordship? Does that mean he's not Lord? Hostility against his church is rampant. Does that threaten his kingdom or his power in some way? Can Jesus even make things right? If he hasn't done it already, can he do it? Well, let's find out what he has to say about it. Let's pray, then we'll read the scripture. Father, you have told us all that we have truly needed to hear, so we pray that you would just give us ears to hear it through the power of your spirit. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also, and the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, didn't you sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servants said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned. But gather the wheat into my barn. 
down to verse 36. Then he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Praise be to you, O Christ. So I've heard good sermons on this passage, uh, sermons that I've really appreciated, where the preacher said, you know, this, this is about wheat and weeds. Sometimes we're familiar with the language of wheat and tares, if you're kind of an old King James, maybe, uh, reader. Uh, wheat and weeds. But the preacher would say, that this is in the visible church, in the church, wheat and weeds together, where the, the wheat are those who are truly chosen by God for eternal life. They're members of what we call the invisible church, Noble only to God himself, but those who do truly believe and have eternal life. And the weeds are also in the church. They're members of the visible church, but they're false Christians. They're false, not truly believers, uh, not truly saved. And the main idea is, you know, let all these saved and unsaved people coexist in the church because if you, you might do damage to the, to the invisible church by trying to whittle down the visible church to just the invisible church, <laughs> to trying to whittle it down to only true believers in the church. Uh, before I started studying this passage uh, more closely this week, I assumed that my sermon would go somewhat along those lines. But while um, it's true that the church is always a mixture of true believers and false believers, uh, that's just not what Jesus is talking about here. And the proof of it is uh, in one simple word, there in verse 38, where Jesus says that the field that he's talking about that contains both wheat and weeds is what? Is it the church? No. When he explains this parable to his disciples, he says the field is the world. The place where you've got wheat and weeds together is the world. So it isn't that the weeds are false believers in the church. The weeds are unbelievers. Weeds are unbelievers in the world. Uh, they're those who deny that Jesus is Lord. And yet, uh, for all their denial, Jesus is Lord. And he's their Lord. Uh, he refers to himself as the owner of the field. In verse 24, he says, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. So this field that is the world is his. He's also called the master of the house. So you see in verses 27 through 30, the master of the house. He's the one who knows what is best for the harvest. He's the one whose field is managed according to his instructions. He's the one who will notify his reapers when it's the right time for the harvest. He's the one who has the right to say, burn the weeds and put the wheat into my barn. So all of this indicates that Jesus has authority over his field, this world, which includes authority over the wheat 
and over the weeds. Right? And Jesus is not troubled by the presence of weeds in his field. He is not agitated by the work of his enemy. He is unworried and unhurried to clear the field of the weeds. The Son of Man, Jesus, that's the way he talks about himself most frequently. Is uh, He'll use that, that phrase, the Son of Man. He is the Lord of all the earth. And this is true even though the devil seeks to ruin his world, even though the world is filled with those who oppose Jesus and oppose his lordship and oppose his people, the church. Right? So Jesus has sowed <clears throat> his good seed in the field. He has put sons of the kingdom in the world. He has planted his church in the world that belongs to him. His enemy, the devil, has committed agricultural sabotage, so to speak. Uh, the devil wants to ruin the world for believers and for the Lord of the world. He wants to eradicate faith from the world. He wants there to be no one who trusts and follows the Lord Jesus, no one who embraces the kingdom of God through faith in Jesus Christ. So the devil puts his own sons, the sons of the evil one, his own offspring, into the world to try to prevent the owner of the field from getting any kind of good crop at harvest time. In the immediate context of Jesus' teaching here, uh, we would recognize that the the self-righteous religious leaders, uh, like scribes and Pharisees, we've been talking about quite a bit, uh, they are the sons of the evil one. Uh, Jesus has already called them this. So Jesus is saying that the devil has strategically placed opposition, like self-righteous religious hypocrites, uh, opposition to his kingdom. The devil has strategically placed opposition to Christ's kingdom in this world to try to ruin God's plans for this world. Their opposition was intended to ruin the harvest, to stop any wheat from being collected into the barn, to prevent people from connecting with Jesus, to prevent people being saved for eternal life. Uh, This opposition wasn't limited to that time and place in Jesus' life only, the immediate context of when he's talking about here. But his people have also encountered opposition throughout history. So the presence of unbelievers who resist Christ's rule, who are antagonistic to the Lord Jesus, makes it difficult for Christ's people to follow him faithfully. It is, it's hard to be a Christian in this world primarily because of the fact that this world is filled with non-believers. That's, that's why it's hard to be a Christian. Uh, because we are tempted to say, they have a good life. They have an easy life. <clears throat> so the presence of hostility from them creates pressures. It creates temptations to abandon Christ, to abandon allegiance to him, to abandon our faith in him. It makes us question, is it really worth it to belong to Jesus when here it would be so much easier to get along in this world if we just forsake Jesus? Is it really worth it? <clears throat> and at the very least, it can be confusing as we've already asked questions like, what does this mean for the lordship of Jesus, the fact that such opposition continues to persist in this world? Jesus is not just Lord of believers. <clears throat> he is Lord of the field. He's Lord of the whole world. His kingdom encompasses, as we see in verse 41, uh, causes of sin and lawbreakers. 
Causes of sin and lawbreakers are in his kingdom. His kingdom includes the weeds. It includes the sons of the evil one. He rules over all. So Jesus is Lord, even of those who deny his rule. He allows the weeds to persist among the wheat deliberately for a time. That's what this says. His rule is not thwarted by opposition. His rule can incorporate the enemy's best attempts to ruin him. The king can use the unbelief and the antagonism of those who oppose him to accomplish his plans for his people, for the sons of the kingdom. So Jesus tells us in this parable that letting the weeds grow is deliberate. Yes, he could tear up the weeds right now before it's the right time for the harvest. He has the right and he has the ability to eliminate all opposition to his rule. He has the right and ability to eliminate all opposition to his people. That course of action seems to make sense to us. That he should do something like that. That course of action seems to make sense to his servants in this parable, his people. Maybe, maybe they're his angels, even. Maybe his angels think that he should just eradicate all opposition to his rule. Isn't that what a smart king does? Isn't that what a strong king does in a world like this? Remove any threats to power, crush the rebellion, punish treason with death. But Jesus knows what he's doing better than anyone else. And he says it is in our best interest to continue this way, to let his field, let this world be a tangled mess of wheat and weeds where it is difficult to be a Christian for the time being. That's what he wants. He wants us to be in a world where it's difficult to be a Christian. So the fact that Jesus himself faced hostility from those who opposed his rule and the fact that his people continue to face the same hostility in this world as the master of the house he has allowed it why that's our big question the lord says it's for our good says the servants said to him do you want us to go and gather the weeds but he said no lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. So if the weeds were to be removed from the field, in this agricultural analogy, Jesus says, it would not be good for the wheat. It would not be good for the wheat. If unbelievers and enemies of Christ were to be removed entirely, altogether, from the world right now, Jesus says it would not be good for believers, for his people. The best crop will be produced by leaving the wheat and the weeds to grow together. It doesn't get much explanation. Uh, I don't know if we should speculate much on how exactly this works. But it is clear that the master of the house allows opposition to continue because he knows that this is what's best for his people to grow to full maturity. That's that's what it says. He knows that this is what's best for his people to grow to full maturity. It is best for the sons of the kingdom to continue together in the world along with the sons of the evil one until the judgment 
at the end of the age. Unbelieving rebellion against Jesus and hostility toward his people is not a good thing. Don't mistake him for saying that. Don't mistake me for saying that, therefore, unbelieving rebellion against Jesus and his people is a good thing. It will be addressed at the end of the age. The Lord will judge with righteous judgment, and he will make things right, and those things will stop forever. But for now, the Lord allows the church to face hostility in this world because it's the best thing for the church. That's what he says. Otherwise, it would ruin the crop. It's counterintuitive, but removing the weeds would damage the Lord's harvest. So, uh, we're not to seek the eradication of the enemies of the gospel from the world. We're certainly not to use violence against the enemies of the church to clear the weeds from the Lord's field against his express wishes. We're not <clears throat> even to wall ourselves off from our enemies in a monastic attempt to create maybe a little patch of ground in the field where only wheat grows and there's no more weeds. This is a parable about trusting the master's judgment above our own and continuing in this world, which is his world, wheat and weeds together. The master thinks that being around unbelievers, even antagonistic ones who persecute us, is good for us, even if it's painful, even if it's dangerous. It's good for us. We might not understand entirely how it could be true, but Jesus says it is. He can do something about all this. He can make all things right. He can bring an end to all opposition to his kingdom. And he promises that he will. At the end of the age, the master, the judge, will send out his angels to gather the harvest, to sort and separate the weeds from the wheat, to finally remove all rebellion from his world, and to bring his people to glory. This is what he says he'll do. He promises to do it, and the Lord Jesus keeps his promises. You can be sure of it. But for now, we live in a world like this because he wants what is good for us. Jesus rules over the whole world, full of both wheat and weeds, believers and unbelievers alike, for the good of the wheat, for the good of his people, for the good of those who belong to him. What's that good, then? What's that good? What good is Jesus looking to do for us by managing his crop in this way, by leaving us to grow together with the unbelievers and the pressures and the pain and the danger we face, the temptations. Jesus' teaching in this parable is a lot like what the angel tells Daniel in Daniel 12, which Cindy read from our Old Testament reading. Uh, There, uh, he talks about God's people facing great troubles in the world. He talks about the deliverance of God's people at the resurrection Where some are raised to shame and everlasting contempt, others are raised to everlasting life. And there he says in Daniel 12, those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. So Jesus puts it this way. He says, the righteous shall shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Why does the Lord Jesus leave the wheat and the weeds to grow together for now. What is the good that Jesus is looking to do for his people as he he allows us to continue to face opposition in this world? He's looking to glorify us with his own glory 
That's what that verse is about. He is the one who truly shines like the sun in his righteousness. See that in a lot of places in the scriptures, uh, but maybe uh, most dramatically in John's vision in the book of Revelation, chapter 1, he has a vision of the risen Lord Jesus, crucified and risen and ascended into heaven, the king of heaven and earth. And he says, I saw one like a son of man, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. So the Lord, Jesus, who shines so gloriously, would make us to shine like he does, like the the sun shining in the full strength in, in the kingdom of his father and our father. So the Lord of glory wants to share his glory with us. He wants to share it. It's his own glory. God wants us to know what it is like to be like him. God wants us to know what it's like to be like him. Jesus is the king who is exactly like God because he is God in the flesh. God came into the world. God came into the world to manifest himself to us. And this is what was manifested when he did in the life of the Lord Jesus. God faces opposition. Simple statement. God faces opposition. He faces rejection. He faces hostility. He faces persecution. Throughout the history of the world, this simple fact has been true. The God who loves, the God who created us, has faced opposition in this world. From almost the very beginning, God has faced the enemy's best attempts to sabotage and ruin him. God faces opposition, and he shines in the glory of his love that shines in the face of opposition. Opposition can't stop him from loving. The devil has led sinners in this global coup attempt to overthrow and dethrone the Lord, but opposition doesn't threaten the power of the God of love. Opposition can't stop him from giving himself for love's sake. The Lord Jesus shines so gloriously only because he lived as he did in this world. Living as wheat among the weeds, facing the opposition that he faced. If the weeds would have been removed from the world, who would have crucified him? Jesus went willingly to the cross to lay down his life for his people, to suffer the punishment for treason in our place. The true Lord died the death of a traitor, but he didn't commit suicide. He was murdered by sinners. If sinners had been removed from the world, and therefore if Jesus had not been crucified, then where would we be? What about the forgiveness of sins that comes through the cross? What about the power and resurrection, the power and the promise of his resurrection? What about eternal life in glory with God? The Father knew what was best for his Son. So he allowed him to face opposition in this world, which led to his crucifixion. That opposition had no power to truly threaten him, to to overthrow the Lord or dethrone the Lord. His glorious power is manifested in his freedom to love in the face of opposition. And so Jesus shines like the sun in the kingdom of his Father. And this is the same glory Jesus wants for us. By leaving us as wheat among weeds, 
in his field. He isn't leaving us to face anything that he hasn't already faced himself. In fact, he is arranging for us to face what he has faced. In the same way, with the same relationship with his Father, with the same spirit, with the same love. In fact, the Lord is giving us the privilege of living in God's own place in this world. Living the glorious life of the Son of God himself in this world and the next world. God took our place so that we could take his place. And that's the nature of his lordship. And opposition can't stop that. He doesn't rule over all things for the sake of himself, for selfish purposes. He rules over all things for the sake of his church, his people. Which is why his field includes wheat and weeds. Why the world is made of sons of the kingdom and sons of the evil one. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. And this is the nature of it. This is what he does with all his authority, his universal absolute authority over believers and unbelievers alike. He makes us to live the life of God in this world so that we will come to shine like the sun in the kingdom of our Father. He knows what's best for us. Nothing could be better for us than this. Think of something that's better than this. Nothing could be more glorious than to shine like the sun in its full strength in the Father's kingdom, to share in Christ's own glory, the glory of the one who faced opposition, who suffered, who was crucified, and who was raised from the dead and raised and raised to the highest of heavens. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. This is what the master is able to do with the sons of the kingdom in his world. His is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we have needed to hear this, your son's word to us. We have needed to believe it. In the life, death, and resurrection of your son, Jesus, we have every reason to believe that you are bringing many sons to glory the glory of Christ himself. That you are forming the very life of Christ in us through your spirit as we live in this world. You must know what is best for us. and You must be doing good to us, even when we face opposition for Christ's sake in this world. So we pray that you would reveal your glory to our hearts and make us to shine like the sun in your kingdom. We pray in your name. Amen.